Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is the morning of Thursday, September 15th. Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Snard in Columbus, Ohio. And since we last talked, uh, there has been some new shit has uh, has arisen. We, we have some new developments here. For starters, we'll start with this. The podcast last week, it was basically like 45 minutes of, of Dan and I just kind of being very upset about the Syracuse loss sharing how pessimistic we were about not just the season, but the overall state of Louisville football. And then out of nowhere, hard left turn Sonar at the end of the, at the end of the podcast, is like, by the way, we're going to, we're going to beat UCF. It's happening. I, I mean, the text line on the radio show, I had like, like six or seven texts that day being like Sonar dropping a bomb on the end of the podcast. Like people were shocked. He was the only person that I saw thinking this could happen. Like every other you know, prediction where it was national, local, whoever thought UCF was going to run away with this thing. And Dane Sennard, the the Scott Satterfield whisperer. You know this man. You have a PhD in Scott. The cards get the job done, twenty to fourteen. I'll we'll start the podcast. You can take a victory lap. I mean, you 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 nailed this one. I was totally wrong. You were totally right. Just want to thank my my wife and kids. Um, without their support, I wouldn't be the man I am today. I <laughs> uh, consider myself no, but um. And all serious, I don't know, like, college football is just a weird sport like that. Like, when you're in the offseason for college football and you kind of look at it, everyone has this tendency, including myself, to where they're like, all right, we're going to win this game, this game, probably going to lose this one, and then we're going to win this, this. Like, those are winnable games, and there's eight wins right there. And it never, ever happens like that, like, ever. And it, it takes, like, a week or two to realize, like, okay, we're back, and this is how unpredictable this sport is. Um, and, I mean, believe me, the 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 guess that we were going to win was simply that. It was a guess just based on, hey, I feel like we are going to get closer to our kind of average median wins, but I, we might just be taking a different route this year. So that's kind of why I picked it. But believe me, there was no rhyme or reason. I mean, when I go to Vegas and do this, I get cleaned. Um, so I'm not, not going to toot my horn there, but, uh, absolute great night. Um, and I, one other thing, and I tweeted this out, I, I mean, God, I could not be a college coach because I carry these losses so much longer and harder than I carry these wins. Like I was so pessimistic during the first half. Like I was hate watching the game. Oh, everybody I, was. I, I shouldn't be doing that. Like I was at like every, even the good plays. I'm like, well, I'm sure they'll do something stupid next play. <laughs> um, but then like, I like found myself. I'm like, all right, you know what? Like they're playing their ass off out there. Like all they've done is lose one game on the road. Like granted, I mean, it was Syracuse who knows how they're going to turn out, but it was a tough environment. Like let's give these kids a chance. They worked all off season for this. And my God, I mean, the defense, we had never seen that out of a Brian Brown defense yet. Um, we can get into it a little bit more, but just just a great win and great to get some momentum back on our side. You're not alone in, like, the the overly pessimistic, like, hate-watching during the first half of the game. If you, like, if you were an average person who didn't know what was going on in the game and you were only following, based on the updates from Louisville Twitter— 
at halftime, you would have thought we were down 47 to three. <laughs> like, like you would have, you would have thought that this was the biggest blowout in the history of college football. Like everybody, including myself, is just like, we're, we're firing off these jokes. We're like, woe is me. This defense can't stop anybody. Oh my God, these, these guys suck. And then it just, it didn't exactly turn on a dime, but it was like a slow build. The defense just starts stringing some stops together. The offense makes some big plays at, at big times. And I threw the stat out there on the, the radio show. I threw it out there on the, the game day post last week as well. Like Louisville under Scott Satterfield had never won a game when scoring 21 points or less. They were 0-9 in those games. And for that streak to be broken against UCF, who's known for you know ridiculous offense, putting up gigantic points, and our defense not being you know overly good and certainly not looking very good against Syracuse, was just a, a stunner. The way it happened was almost as shocking as the fact that it happened, period. The 20-14 to 14 game, grinding it out, defensive stops, like continuing to keep them in the game, and then the defense just continuing to, to step up when they had to was just sort of this, if we were going to win, I would, I would have thought it was going to be like last year. I would have thought it was going to be like 49-45. For it to have been 2014 was a little bit of a stunner. It's also a little bit concerning with the offense. We can talk about that a little bit later. But just in more of like an overarching thing here, what do we do with this? What do we do with this win now? Because I, I, I think the majority of the fan base is like, you know, there, there's a segment that still is like, this guy sucks, this team sucks, I'm out. There's a segment that is like, I told you guys, you know, we're, we're fine, Scott's the guy, we're moving forward. I think the majority of the fan base is like, it was fun to celebrate a win. I was happy being happy last weekend. When Louisville wins, everything's better. Like That, that was great. But I'm still not completely sold that we're going to do good to great things this season and that Satterfield's the guy long term. I need to see more than just a win over UCF. That blowout loss to Syracuse is still lingering in my mind a little bit. Where, where are you with this now? I mean, I mentioned this on the the beginning of the season pod. I mean, this is just roller coaster Scott. Like, this is what you're gonna get. Like, one week he's hot, the next week he's not. One week he's hot. Like, it, it's hard to really pin this guy down. But this is what I'll say. I get more satisfaction out of winning a game defensively than I do outscoring a team. I just do. And for whatever reason, I feel like it's better for the outlook of the season that way. Um, I just think we got too much talent um, on offense to really keep being held down. And we're moving the ball uh, for, you know, whatever reason we're settling for field goals. You know, Ty and Evans gets stripped on that long run, kind of a weird play. Um, so, I, I mean, I still th- I'm, I'm not as worried about the offense, but I really did need to see something out of the defense. And now we know it's there. Now, granted, you know, Florida State could be a completely different animal. I mean, I think from an athlete standpoint, I'm not saying UCF was dog shit by any means. I mean, they run a great offense. Everyone knows Gus Malzahn's kind of got that um-tempo thing going. But I think we might be facing a, a run game here that's, you know, coming up on Friday night that's going to be very tough to stop. Um, but if we can string a couple of these together on defense – I think that's going to go a long way. So if you're asking me if I'm in or out, I'm, I'm in, baby. I'm in. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. So uh, <laughs> I, I am. I wish I could go to the game on Friday. It's my son's birthday this weekend. Um, we got soccer games, his birthday party, you know, my wife's birthday as well. So whatever. But anyways, um, I'm, I'm really hoping that the, you know, the stadium's packed and 
we get behind this team. Because um, honestly, I mean, we're one and one with a good road win. Like, remember we talked about like, hey, if we come back one and one, like, I, I would say most fans would be somewhat satisfied with that. And we are. And, you know, now it's time to go out and, you know, defend our home field. I don't know why, but I can't stop smiling at Roller Coaster Scott. <laughs> I think it's such a funny, ridiculous nickname. Oh, old, uh, old RC. There he is. Roller Coaster Scott doing his thing. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's totally right, though. Like, I do the post every single year at Card Crime. I've done it since 2006, for God's sake. I, I've, I've done it since the old, like, the, the, the card report before Card Chronicle where I predict, I do game-by-game game predictions. And I used to always like be so proud of the fact that before Satterfield got here, there had only been one season all these years, I think, like, what, I guess 14, 13 seasons, where I'd been off by more than one game. And it was uh, Steve Craigthorpe's first year. I thought that, you know, I was young, naive, had not been cragged yet. I thought we were going to go 11-1. a young boy, just a young pup. Just a young pup. Just, uh, just you know, living life, thinking that, Talent mattered more than coaches. I thought we'd go 11-1. and one. We went 6-6. Six and six. That was the, the first big and only big swing and miss. And then Satterfield gets here. I am I think I predicted 3-9 and nine his first year because 2018 had been so bad. And he wins seven games in the regular season. Then I predicted 8-3 and three in the COVID year. We went, I think, 4-7 and seven that year. And then I, I was closer last year. I went 7-5. and five. We went 6-6. Six and six. But my point is, I've got no goddamn clue what this man's going to do on a week-to-week basis. I, I, I can't figure him out at all. I've, you've got the PhD in Scott. I can't figure out old RC. I, I just, like, I don't know what to do with Friday. And I'm admitting this before we even come close to our prediction segment. I've got no idea what's going to happen tomorrow night. Nothing would shock me at all. This is just classic Scott. But the UCF game, I guess we'll start with the defense because Brian Brown, look, we're not apologizing to him yet. It's one game. It was a fantastic game. But we're gonna need to see, you know, to see a little bit more before we start like getting on our knees and saying keeping this yeah. guy around was the the right thing to do. And also, let's just be real. UCF has a ton of speed. They marched it right down the field their first couple of possessions, and I think everybody was terrified as the game went on. And Uville deserves some credit for this, but John Rice Plumley I think showed that he's not a passer. Um, he showed why Ole Miss moved into receiver, which Andre Ware mentioned approximately 73 yeah. times in the first 30 minutes of the game, but. Louisville, they did what they weren't able to do with Garrett Schrader. They kept him in the pocket and made him miss or made him beat him with his arm, and he couldn't do it. Like the coverage got better. Schrader basically got out of the pocket whenever he wanted to, picked up plays with his feet, and then also was making, you know, Louisville pay with his arm as well. He was hitting open guys. Plumlee couldn't do that. And also the, the secondary stiffened up a little bit. I, I thought Brownlee, after a rough start, really stepped up. Uh, Keechel Clark played better. They had some hope, help for Brownlee on the other side, too. Kendrick Duncan had a fantastic game with 13 tackles. Oh, he, he was incredible. To me, he was the player of the game. He was like, so like, I, uh, just uh, being transparent here, I had to watch the game on a phone. So like, I couldn't really tell who was making the plays. I did go back and like watch it like during the week, just so I was like, all right. But he was everywhere, man. Like props to him. He was awesome. He was great. I thought Yaya Diaby played one of his best games as a Cardinal. He had a, a bunch of plays behind the line of scrimmage. It seemed like every time we needed a big stop, he really stepped up. Momo Sunoco, who was kind of, I don't know, just didn't really make much of an impact in the Syracuse game, had a couple of big plays that w- it was really nice to see him not just be like a vocal leader, but to actually step up and, and make big plays for his team. I thought the entire secondary was good. Um, 
Monty Montgomery's still a little bit. I think we're still kind of waiting to see the old Monty. He he missed a couple of of, of tackles. He wasn't terrific. You see Abdullah kind of the same thing. I think we're waiting for both those guys to step up and remind us of who they were uh, when they were healthy last year. Ashton Gelati, I thought was 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 good once again. Destel got some good push up front, which he's going to have to because we found out right before the game Jermaine Lole is out for the entire season, which that, was a, that a huge bummer. Uh, yeah. That sucks. But the defense, I, I mean. 10 consecutive stops to end the game. I didn't think they could stop Dawes High School 10 consecutive times, and they're out there doing it against the UCF team that has been very, very good on, on offense over the years. I, are you with me, though, in saying, like, as impressive as that was, as fun as that was to see, and you, you like you said, you're a guy that loves to win with defense, I'm going to have to see it a little bit more before we do this whole, like, yeah, Brian Brown, we're sorry, you're smart, we're dumb. You're cool. We're nerds. Like, like I need more than just one game. Oh, a hun- I mean, a hundred percent. Like, you know, I, I definitely agree there. I would say my favorite part of the defense is a bunch of different guys made big plays. I mean, it wasn't just one guy the whole game. I mean, we, we had new guys stepping up like the entire game. And I was noticing like the rotation on the defensive line. Uh, now, granted, it's it's kind of easier to notice that because, you know, UCF likes to go quick. And then when they sub, we can sub. So it's pretty noticeable, like when we have guys coming in. But um, we did just seem a little bit fresher than we usually do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those deals where, I mean, I hate to even say this because, I mean, we know UCF, like they've been – I, I mean, do you want to call them a power? Sure. Like they, they've they've been in the national football landscape for a couple of years now. Um, but like you said, I I, I just can't a hundred percent buy in and, and until we see like a string of like two to three games like this. Um, but I mean, they did everything that that we wanted to the second half. I mean, they were flying around the ball. There was you know white shirts literally everywhere, like attacking every single ball carrier. We we did get a couple, I would say, breaks. Um, now, granted, the one touchdown that got called back for the holding, the holding I did not see, but uh, yeah. Quincy Riley definitely got pushed off on, um, and they did not call that. So, uh, but I was very- hold on, hold on. We, 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 we got to do the thing we're going to do. This is the, the podcast rule. If we're going to talk about officiating, we got to start it with. There are bad calls on both sides. Oh, yeah, 100%. Bad, bad calls on both sides, but we're just ne- – and now we go on and we talk about just the bad calls that went against us. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, the Tyler Hudson – or the Marshawn Ford, you know, take back of the flag was brutal. Um, there, I know there was another one I'm missing here, but um, – The roughing the kicker that they Yeah, the running. roughing the ki- – yeah, that that was the one. But You don't, uh, you don't touch Mark Bassett and get away with it. It's it's always like, roughing when you touch Mark great. Bassett. He's been great. Um, he's been killing it. Yeah, he's been a very pleasant surprise. Now, I will say, I this is I love doing this. What was the most mad you got during the game? Because mine was the missed field goal. I may have just stealed <laughs> off of some expletives and filled a whole restaurant. <laughs> mine was, and this is a a perfect segue because I did want to talk about this next. Mine was when we went for it on fourth down at the end of the fourth oh, quarter. I'm- I didn't even, you know what? Go ahead, say what you're gonna say. Cause I, gotta... I know, I know that you were, you you were for certainly more okay with it than I was. And this has been an ongoing discussion this week in local media. Like um, <clears throat> the radio people, we we've had this discussion. I know that some like the of the websites have gotten into it. And 
it's easy to play revisionist history now on both sides. On on one side, like I can say, you know, he didn't get it. It was we we gave UCF a short field. That was really silly. On the other side, people who you know who waited till after the play can say the play should have worked. If Marshawn Ford just catches it, we get the first down. Great call, Scott. My whole thing at the time was, well, one, we come out there, we line up, we get them to use a timeout, and I'm like, okay, savvy move, great, great play, Scott. Like, maybe that 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 timeout ends up costing UCF down the line. Cool. Now let's punt the ball. Like, defense is killing it. Vassett's killing it. Let's pin them deep. Let's get one stop. Let's end the game. We come back out with the offense again, and I'm like, okay, we're trying to draw them offside. This seems silly. They're definitely not going to jump, but whatever. We've got, I think, two timeouts left at this point. Let's try it. When we snapped the ball, I thought I was seeing things. I, I was like, I, like, the world stopped. Like, everything just started spinning. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, we're running a fucking play? Are you kidding me? And then it doesn't work, and I absolutely flipped out, and I tweeted out, like, what the fuck are we doing? And, uh, you know, of course, like, after the game, a bunch of people were like, we're winning. That's what we're doing. I'm like, okay, man. Like, you know, thanks for waiting <laughs> 45 minutes to respond to this tweet. Um, but I, at the time, was furious about this. Now, before I let you say, like, why you were okay with it, I, I, I take back some of my fury. I heard Scott Satterfield explain this on his Monday radio show, and I thought it was, like, you know, when you tip your cap, you tip your cap. Like, I, I thought he gave an accurate explanation for why. He, his, his thing was, one, they thought they had to play – that was going to pick up the first down, obviously. You don't run that if you don't feel confident in being able to pick it up. And then two, he said, based on the field position and the time left on the clock, if we didn't get it there and UCF wound up scoring, L still would have had enough time to come back down, get in field goal range, and win the game. Whereas if they punt it, pin it deep, more than likely UCF's going to be using more time on the clock to go the extra 50, 60 yards and if they did score at that point, the game would essentially have been over. So he was playing the analytics game. There's a whole uh, Twitter account, there's a whole website that dedicates itself just to like go for it or punt situations and like plays out all the, the numbers. And what they came up with was if Louisville punts in that situation, they win the game 80% of the time. If they go for it, they win the game 79% of the time. So essentially it was a 50-50 toss-up. I thought it was ridiculous at the time. I still would have punted it just because the defense had made nine consecutive stops at that point. But I'm I'm less over the top with it now than I was before I heard Satterfield explain himself. But you were you, you thought it was the right call. I mean, I just I like a coach that I mean, again, this is a non-analytics thing here, but I like that the coach trusts his offense and trusts his play calling enough that where he knows he has a play that's going to pick this up. And I mean, he did. That should have been a first down. I mean, it just was not executed. Um, you know, I, I think if they run that play nine out of 10 times, it does get executed, but, you know, and then I look at UCF, yes, our defense played out of their minds, but I would still look at them as a team where their strength, you know, is going to be their offense. And I think Scott just wanted to keep them off the field. And I totally understood that at the time, um, you know, did it, it didn't work. That sucked. And I, I, I definitely, you know, if we would have lost, he would have definitely caught some heat. I, I totally get that. But, you know, I, I like a coach that wants to go in there and actually, you know, win the game and not play. I'm not saying punting would have been playing scared, but, um, you know, just me. I mean, I think all fans have differing opinions on this. I, I liked that, you know, he had some balls and he went for it there. It showed me a little bit. It felt to me, it was kind of, like, to me, it just felt like the, the over correct, when you're driving, like the guy who like is you accidentally just barely gets outside of 
the white line of the highway and then just swerves three lanes over to overcorrect. Like Scott, he knows that the like, like the, the one of the things that the fans are so upset about is his inability to finish games. You know, all the fourth quarter collapses last year, all that stuff. Like he doesn't the decision making, the clock management. And so he's like, all right, we're just going to put it away right here. And we're like, no, 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 <laughs> not right now. Like use some nuance. Look at the situation. The defense is playing lights out. I, it just felt like he was trying to do a little too much with the whole like, yeah, foot on the throat. I did that. But I, I again, with more time passing between the decision when it happened and, and you know now I can see where the people who supported the move are coming from a little bit more than I could. Then I still would have punted it, but it's not quite as, as black and white as I thought it was at the time. At the time, I was about ready to just lose it. Like, I, I almost broke the TV. I, I was like, we're going to lose the game because of this. What are we doing? Um, but Brian Brown's defense, once again, just steps up. Also, I was going to say, we'll, we'll call you the Kirk Ferentz of the podcast, guys. Yeah. Well, just, yeah, I mean, for, I don't think, I mean, Kirk would have punted it on third down. So it's not get that far. There was also a party that was like, if you're Brian Brown, are you just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I'm having the best night I've had since I got here. Like, let me shine a little bit. Stop trying to put me in a situation where I can be, like, the, the goat once again. The bad goat, not the good goat. I'm sure he wasn't exactly thrilled with the decision to go for it. But the defense stepped up and got it done. And they got it done another series after that. They made two stops. I know. That, that that's what, like, I when I went back and watched the game, like, I almost forgot. Like, I was like, Jesus, I forgot we punted again. And then. They got close. Know, yeah, they, uh, dude, I mean, the one, there was a couple plays on that second to last drive. Um, like the, the one where the, they hit on the slant and he got away from Brownlee, but Kendrick yes. Dunn came up with like a game saving, like open field tackle. Yes. yes. Uh, that one was big. And then when they got it down on the goal line, they got it. I think they had like a second and, you know, second and goal from the 10. I think they got it down to like the two or three. And on that third down play, Yasir Abdullah, you know, fired in from the edge and, and pretty much got him for like a no gain or a one yard loss there. I thought both those plays um, kind of were overlooked and, and helped change the game there. No, I totally agree. Those two plays were enormous. You also, you made a good point, too, about like guys that we've heard of but haven't really seen do much stepping up and making huge plays. Like Dorian Jones had one of our yeah, tackles for a loss. Yep. It, that was an enormous play. Mason Rieger, who just got a scholarship before the season started, made a, a tremendous play. It was one of those where he dove at the, at the running back's feet, and if he doesn't get him, it probably goes for like a 20-yard gain, and instead it was a, a one-yard loss. So just to see all those guys stepping up, especially in big-time situations, was was awesome. Um, what do we do with Malik? Because this, this was the second straight game where Malik, with his arm at least, hasn't been great. The I think maybe the, the biggest takeaway on offense was Louisville came into the season wanting to play a specific way. Like they wanted traditional run game and then Malik beating teams with his arm, right? Like they wanted Ty and Evans to get a ton of carries. They wanted Malik to get fewer carries. And it was almost like they tried it at Syracuse and right away we're like, well, this doesn't work. Like Malik's going going to have to to do a whole lot of damage again with his legs because they came out on that first drive, which was so impressive. And they had like three or four runs in a row that were either design runs for Malik or – runs that were gave him the option to keep himself and you could tell UCF kind of knew that that what Louisville's game plan had been against Syracuse because they were just king on Evans they weren't king on on Malik at all and every time he pulled the ball and kept it for himself he had big you know he had he had gigantic like avenues of, of green field in front of him and you could also tell UofL told Malik like you know get out of bounds when you can get down when you can we want you to run 
But if it's a if it's a, if it's a decision between getting out of bounds or potentially cutting it up and getting three, four, five yards, but taking a hit, get out of bounds because he's and that's the smart thing. It's a long season. It's a long every game's a long game. But they very clearly were like, okay, we can't beat teams without design runs for Malik. So we're going back to that, and it worked for the most part. Malik just he didn't hit open guys. Receivers, I don't think, created enough space. Yeah. He, I mean, he could have put the game away on third down. We mentioned we gave them two opportunities to score late. After we went for and fourth down and got that stop, all he has to do is complete a wide open third down pass to Braden Smith over the middle, and he he short hops it. So I don't know where your concern level is with Malik. I mean, Scott Satterfield basically said like he's got to be better in in the passing game this week. We know he can run, but he's got the arm. He's got open guys. He's got to make the throws. It's it's pretty simple, but it's also pretty true. I think you absolutely nailed it there because. I mean, I was one of the ones that was like, hey, I, I would like to see traditional drop back Malik and I don't want to risk getting him hurt for the year, um, you know, by by running and taking these hits. But I just don't think the offense is going to be able to work unless you have some design runs in there. Um, and I think that's going to open up more stuff, you know, for some of these receivers, which, you know, quite frankly, I'm I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about. Um, yep. I don't know that. Like, I don't know if they have the kind of separation they want from defensive backs at this moment. I just don't think Malik is accurate enough, um, you know, for, you know, to throw to receivers that don't have a lot of space. Um, Now, Grant, we know he can make some of those throws. I just don't think he hits on them 100 percent of the time. So um, I don't know. I I, I do. It's weird. Like, Every time I watch our offense, like, I'm like, I don't think we're playing that bad. And then, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're either punting or we're setting, settling for a field goal. Um, the thing about this offense is, real quick, I, I feel like this offense, everything has to go perfect, right? Like yeah. you said, everything will be going – like, one mistake derails an, an entire drive. Like, they, sure. they'll be moving the ball effectively. We'll have the right play calls. And you're like, all right, this is great. We're looking good. And then if, the, if there's one time where we have, like, second and five – and we get a holding call that makes it second and 15, we're done. Like the, the drive stalls. Or if there's one time where we have a play that works perfectly, but a dude just drops the ball or Malik misses him, we're done. Like that that's kind of – because I'm, I'm with you. Like we every time I watch this offense, I'm like, it looks like we're playing well. Like these plays are working, but then a drive will just get derailed in the snap of a finger. We don't seem to be able to over, overcome any sort of mistake. Is, is there anything on offense that you're like, I kind of want to see more of this because like, I truly like, I mean, I can't really pinpoint anything. I'm like, I mean, I like when they hand the ball off to Evans. I feel like we're targeting Tyler Hudson, you know, a decent amount. I I guess if there's one thing I'd like to get Marshawn Ford a little bit more involved, it seems like good things happen when he touches the ball. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I can't pinpoint like one thing where I'm like, I'm, they need to do more of this if they want to be successful. Yeah, I mean. The obvious answer is, I guess, more shots downfield. But the issue is we don't have that guy, at least we haven't right. seen him yet, who can take the top off the defense. We don't have the the 2-2 Atwell or the the Tyler Harrell from last year. We tried in the, the first game with D. Wiggins, and he got open. And maybe if Malik throws the ball a little bit sooner, that's a touchdown. But, like, also, Wiggins didn't fight for that ball in the end zone. Like, right. at, the, at the very least, it should have been knocked down, and he didn't make a great play on that. Like, I don't know if he's the type of big play threat who can who can get you there. Now, Satterfield seems to believe, based on his his press conference on Tuesday, that we have those guys, and it's just on Malik to to get them more involved. Like he basically he was putting the honest on Malik. He he was sort of saying, 
you know, we've got weapons. We're just not spreading the ball around enough. Malik's got open guys. He's just not finding them. And watching the games, I haven't really seen that. I think it's on both sides. I think the receivers aren't creating separation. We don't have explosive guys there. But Malik, according to Satterfield, Malik, he's got to do more. You know what? Like the one guy I, I I forgot to mention this that I really do like when we get the ball in his hands is Amari Huggins Bruce. Yeah. Like it seems yeah. like good things happen when he touches the ball. Um, he, he's been able to make run, you know, runs after the catch. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you know, I I I trust Scott more than I trust myself. If if he thinks it's on Malik, um, you know, if that's to boost the wide receivers' confidence, or I don't, I have no idea. Maybe that's just coach speak, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just, it would be nice to hit on more big plays, um, and, and, you know, maybe plays over 20, 30 yards, but, um, I don't know. I still, I feel like this offense is, it's, it's close to busting out. Um, I mean, we've had two road games. It's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to score on the road. I mean, it just is, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for these guys to get home and, um, not have to deal with the crowd noise and I guess we'll see what happens then. I really wanted Scott to like take his shirt off after the game or something. Just, just like, I'm go. Glad wild. he was. No, you know what? He, he, okay, let's talk about this. I mean, because I went through your Twitter mentions and I saw people like clamoring for like an emergency pod. Like, and hey, I mean, Calm I was, down. I, I was excited. First off, I was in no state to give an emergency <laughs> pod. Like, I, I was on a golf trip. I was sloppy. I had the best golf day maybe in my entire life. We could talk about that later. Um, but anyways, uh, I was in no state to give an emergency pod, but like what happened last year? I mean, I was like, guys, what happened last year after we gave the emergency pod at UCM? Like the rest of the season went to shit. Like, let's let, let's let this season play out. You know, when, when we feel it's right for an emergency pod, we're like, all right, we're on a fucking roll here. Then we'll do one. But, um, I don't want to jump the gun too early and I'm glad Scott, you know, treated this like a win and not like a take your shirt off Gatorade bath. The standards that these heathens who follow, who love the podcast have for the, the emergency pod are so low. Like, it, it's become, like, kind of a joke now. Yeah. Anytime something somewhat positive happens, like, I'll check my mentions and it'll be, like, people celebrating. And then it'll be, like, 35 people are like, emergency pod? Get Dan on the phone. I'm like, we're not doing an emergency pod. The, the standards have to be a little bit higher than, than that. I agree. Um, I will say, like, the emergency podcast episodes, by and large, are our most listened to, so maybe we should do more of them. But uh, the the last two podcasts that we've done, and I mentioned this on Twitter, are actually the two most downloaded that we've had besides emergency podcasts in the now, what, two and a half years we've been doing this. So uh, props to and thanks to everybody who kind of stuck with us over the, the, the disappearance over the summer. Uh, we're back. I mean, somebody on the text line yesterday for the radio show was like, I don't know what's more surprising, Louisville winning at UCF or uh, Mike and Dan doing two consecutive podcasts in two weeks. I'm like, we're here. The season's here. Yeah. Like, now we're, we're, we're focused. We're locked in. We're you games must- guys. We're not off-season guys. We're games guys. Talk about summer. <laughs> summer. <laughs> Talk about the season. Um, you mentioned that going on the road, like, it, it should be mentioned, and I don't know if we brought it up on last week's podcast, but... UCF damn near unbeatable at the bounce yeah. house over the last five years. They, you know, they've since 2017 they've had four perfect home seasons. They had been 31 and two at home before Friday night's game. Obviously, we don't know how good this year's team is going to be, but still, to beat them at home, no small feat. The only other two teams to do it were a top 10 Cincinnati team and then um, a Tulsa team that was pretty good in 2020, the COVID year. So, no small accomplishment to go down there and beat them at their place, especially with that environment being. Pretty raucous. I mean, it was a packed house. It was a Friday yeah. night game. 
it was a not an easy place to play, and Louisville got the job done. So it's it's a win that's been celebrated this week. It should be celebrated this week. It obviously will only you know it's only going to last so long if Louisville comes out and looks terrible tomorrow night against Florida State. It's not going to matter that much. But if Louisville wins against Florida State, it's only going to seem like a bigger deal. So it was just it was just good to feel good for a weekend. Like you know Saturday we had. Virginia's birthday party, so I'm running around trying to get stuff ready for that. You know, yeah. Sunday we had kids over at the house, and like doing all that little shit, it feels so much better when you're coming off of a Cardinal victory. It just it just does. Whether it's, you're thinking about it like up front or whether it's just subconsciously, it just makes life a little bit better. So it was nice to have those few days where just the, the sun shined a little bit brighter. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, we're gonna go back to my golf game here on Saturday. <laughs> uh, you got to go to the golf trip. We went last year. I didn't get to go this year because I have not been feeling well. But yeah, we missed you. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah. We, we 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 hated that you weren't there. Um, but like we go down this kind of like Ryder Cup style, you know, trip every year. And on Friday, I mean, I just played off my ass. Like won won my match, hit a big putt on 18 in front of a crowd of like 12 people, where I got to do like a Tiger <laughs> fist pump. And like run around the green, almost ha- got closest to the pin, almost had a hole in one in front of a big crowd. Like everything was absolutely clicking for me that day. Um, and then I got off the course and like I walked in and James Turner's pushing the field goal. <laughs> right? I was like, don't fuck this up for me, James. Um, but no, you're exactly right. Like I, there's just a, a kind of a hop in my step, you know. Here I I'm actually in Cleveland, Ohio right now. I know you said Columbus. I didn't want to correct you, but I'm in Cleveland, just driving around, listening to international players anthem with the windows down, going on work calls here. So that's uh, time Cleveland yeah. again. I mean, I am um, I'm humming right now. But like you said, uh, a victory on Friday, and we can really kind of you know I don't want to say change the outlook for the season, but. Um, definitely going to start looking at it through some rose-colored glasses. Yeah, the way that I've been describing it is the, the UCF win, it doesn't fix what, what happened against Syracuse, but it kind of brings it, – it doesn't reset the season either because I think you're still concerned about you know, losing so badly to Syracuse and looking so just lethargic in the process, I think, is still something that's hard to get out of your mind. But it does kind of – it at least makes the thoughts that we had before the season – come back on the table, right? Like, yep. you know, going into last week, like I'm thinking, you know, God, if we lose this one, we're probably starting 0-3. We're, we're potentially staring down like a 3-9, and 4-8 and eight type season. And then Satterfield is like definitely going to get fired. He might not even make this weird. And now winning that game, it at least like puts the possibility back on the table of going 7-5, and 8-4, and four, you know, maybe even better if, if things just go perfectly and having this not get weird at the end of the year with the recruiting class in Satterfield and all that stuff. So it, hasn't it been so nice not to have to talk about like keeping yes. the recruiting class together, like for one week, it's like, Oh, thank God. Jeez. I can just like focus on like a nice win and I don't have to worry about like, although we had like the Ruben Owens. I was going to say, and then I, none I, of, I, none of, yeah, that was none of his doing, but then I wake up yesterday, it's like, oh, Ruben Owens is visiting Texas A&M. I'm like, God damn it, can we get one week? Yeah, I'm like, show him the, show him the Yale practice video. Hurry, give it to him. <laughs> I would love Ruben Owens even more than I do already if he was like, this is the reason why I'm not coming. If he just like, take that video out, and he's like, this is why I had to cancel. I'm done. <laughs> that video was 
that was like jaw dropping. I was like, Jesus. Um, These guys are the biggest losers alive. Like, I know. I, I'm really starting to believe that too. I was like, yikes. Uh, there was one that I played. I played it on the the radio show before the Super Regional against Texas A&M. It was from last year's game before Mississippi State, and it was like I thought it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then I saw the App State stuff, and people are like, oh, it's just. It's cancel culture. It's it's the wokeness. I'm like, I don't care that they're making shitty jokes about rednecks. I care that it's the lamest dweeb shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, it's just embarrassing. It's not like culturally insensitive or anything like that. It's just these guys are yeah. losers. I feel like it's, Corny played like in like the late 70s, early 80s. And I mean, we're, I, you know, that was more than Corny. That was like, Jesus, calm down, guys. But um, I mean, he made a joke about. App State players not knowing how to read a map. This is a yeah. 20-year-old kid. Nobody has nobody's read a map in 15 years. What, what are you talking about? Like he must have gotten that joke from his grandpa or something. It was just, and the fact that there are like 30,000 people at this thing all following along. It feels like the lamest cult of all time. It, it feels it's very cultish. It's just I'm, it's weird I am, behavior. I don't if know. If there's an A and M fan listening, I apologize, but I'm happy that I don't have any friends or really know anyone that's a diehard A and M fan. I'll say that. So um, now let me ask you this: Which game are you more nervous about? Cards Florida State or Syracuse Purdue? Is can we all agree that the most hilarious result is like we beat Florida State, but Purdue beat Syracuse by like seventy five? <laughs> like, yeah. like, nobody, like they'll, they'll be like get ready yell and then they like won't know what to do and they're like well nope, no, <laughs> nobody would know what to do because like the, the, the pro jeff brom people like won't be able to fully rip on satterfield and like the you know the pro satterfield people like they you know they'll be like well we lost to these guys that purdue beat by 70 um it would be i mean regardless of what happens the takes are going to be flying next week but oh yeah it's definitely an interesting dynamic going into this game. So I guess let's talk a little bit about Florida State. Um, actually, before we do that, can we give a shout out real quickly? How about U of L volleyball last night? Taking down Kentucky yeah, on yeah, national that TV. was great. Yep, um, man, they got it rolling there for sure. I'm a DBK fanatic. Danny Buspin Kelly was the first coach to to come on the Mike Rutherford show. It was before the the Kentucky game last year. They're killing it, um, and it was very cool to see them play on ESPN. It was the I saw the the graphic. It said. It was the fourth time in 25 years that ESPN has televised a regular season college volleyball match, and it was you know number three U of L taking down number five uh, number 13 UK in five sets, second straight win for the Cards over the Cats, um, and they're number three in the country. They're going to be chasing another national title. It was just a nice little middle of the week celebration. It felt good to watch that last night, and felt good to to celebrate it this morning. So you know, suck, like, yeah, I wish they would. I wish they would like bring those girls out like. You know, like they do in like honor with the football game. Um, I mean, they deserve they it. Probably will. Like, yeah, like after the last like year, year and a half that they've had, um, you know, they've they've really put that you know, they've they've put that sport on the map to where the entire fan base is behind it. What they need to do is is move some of those matches back to the KFC Yum Center because the LNN Credit Union Arena is is sold out every single game, which is cool. But also, like, they, they could fill the lower bowl for some big – I mean, I went to the UofL-UK volleyball match in, like, I think it was, like, 2016, 2017. It was at the Yum Center, and it was I – mean, the lower bowl was was pretty much entirely filled. Like, they, they can they can do that. They probably need to start making that happen again. But um, that's what – some pro, it's a good problem to have. It's a problem oh, yeah. that comes with success. Let's talk um, – tomorrow night, Louisville, Florida State. It is a 7.30 kickoff on ESPN. 
It's going to be a red out at Cardinal Stadium. They're going to honor Michael Bush's uh, jersey. We have, you know, when we came to the ACC, I think, you know, everybody was more worried about Florida State than they were Clemson. FSU was kind of on top of the college football world at that point. We've, you know, more than held our own against FSU. We're four and four against them since joining the ACC. We've won two in a row. You could, it, it feels like we have better than a 500 record because we could have won at least two of those games. Uh, maybe you could say we should have won one, two, at least two of those games that we lost. We could easily be six and two or, or seven and one against these guys. But they're coming to town just outside the top 25. They beat LSU narrowly in week one. Um, they destroyed Duquesne in week zero. They've got our former quarterback, Jordan Travis, who's playing very well. They seem to have a more dynamic offense than they've had in years past. Uh, they are two-point favorites in this game. I don't think Vegas has any idea what to do with either of these teams, which is understandable. I, I've already admitted I've got no idea what to expect. Where's your – one, where's your excitement level for this game? Two, where's your confidence level for this game? Um, excitement level, I would put at a nine. Uh, confident. Ooh. Like, I, this is – I mean, this is a big game. Like, I, I yeah. feel like this is going to change – the momentum of the season, like one way or the other, like we win this, we could, we could take off and possibly do something special. You know, we lose, uh, then, you know, we start hearing the, the, the hot takes from the fans again, but um, confidence. I, I'm like you, this, this one's tough. Like I'm 50, 50. I'm not a, I'm not a believer in Mike Norvell. I'm just not Uh I don't know why. Like, I don't really have a reason to. I haven't watched enough Florida State. Um, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's Florida State at the end of the day. I mean, they usually have talent. Um, but I can't get last year's game out of my head, like, where we looked so good for most of the game. And I'm like, God, they can't. You know, Florida State kind of changed that much in a year. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be huge to have the home crowd behind us I, I really do I think that's going to be a game changer for us um granted I mean I know Florida State has played already in a, a, a raucous environment um but so have we so it'll be nice to to have the fans backing us for once but yeah I don't know I mean I know we got to do predictions at the end here but uh I am I, I have no idea which way I'm going to go yeah I'm expecting the because the other big discussion this week has been, you know, what do you think the crowd's going to be like? I think the crowd will be very good. I don't think it'll be quite as good as it would have been if we'd been 2-0. and But still, like, it's – the diehards are going to be you – know, they're foaming at the, at the mouth because, you know, we haven't had a tailgate in 10 months at this point. Uh, they've been waiting the last two weeks just to get out there. It's a Friday night game. These are some of the best environments that we, we ever have at Cardinal Stadium. They're doing the red out, which I always think looks the best of the, the outs that they do. Um, Bush will will bring some fans in as well, and it's it's just it's oh. Florida State. Like they're still a huge brand. They, you know, I, I know they're not ranked right now, but there's a difference between unranked two and zero Boston College coming into your place and and unranked two and zero Florida State. It's still going. They still move the needle. They're still a big draw. Um, I think people also recognize just how big this game is for the direction of the season and you know the direction of the program. Because if the season goes well, I think you feel good about the direction of the program. If it doesn't, you have to worry about blowing things up and starting from scratch. So this is a, a gigantic, gigantic game. I don't think it'll sell out. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it will either. I don't think it's going to be a sellout. I mean, God, like the way our stadium is right now, it's I mean, it's I mean, I'm, you know, might sound a little sad, but it's, it's hard to sell it out. So it is. Uh, it's, it's very tough. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
it's uh let me ask you this what do we need to do well in order for us like where you feel confident like what has to be the key for us to win this game having malik play like malik Uh, you know what i was gonna say same thing i was gonna say we're gonna have to hit on some some long passes i mean not even that like you know if we if he wants to run that's fine but we're gonna need him to kind of be a little bit of superman ish the weird thing is if you go back and look at the last three florida state games and i know that this is you can't read too much into past games we found that out against syracuse in week one but malik against florida state has by and large like beaten them with his arm more than his legs it was either last year's game or the game two years ago when we beat them where he had he threw the ball 40 times. I think it was 39 exactly. It's the, the most attempts he's ever had in a game. He threw for, I think, right around 300 yards and two scores and, and no interceptions. And he hasn't run it nearly as much against FSU. It's like, it's like we know that we can't beat FSU the way that we beat other teams because they have so many athletes on the edge. Like Malik is a superior athlete against just about everybody, but against FSU, like, They've got guys who are quick enough and big enough to, even if they bite on the play fake, they're still going to, to get to Malik before he can get the edge. So we know that he has to beat them with his arm, and he's been able to do it the last couple of years. So I think he's got to get back in the passing groove. We also obviously have to find receivers who can get some separation and make plays when they have the ball thrown their way. Um, but if we're going to beat FSU on Friday, I feel like the passing game has to be markedly better than it's been the first two weeks. That That would be mine. Do you have anything in mind? No, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you there. I, I, I was going to lean on the passing game. I don't know. Like, for whatever reason, I like maybe it's false hope. Um, but I saw enough from the defense in the second half to where I feel like it's going to carry over. I just do. I, I mean, the fact that we saw it, I'm like, all right, it's in there. Like, we know it can happen. We know these guys can fly around. And when they kind of – it just seemed like we let the guys loose. Like – they, they yeah. weren't overthinking of where they needed to be. Like, they were just – everyone was flying to the ball. Now, granted, you know, in the future, will that maybe give up some big plays by doing that? Yeah, it might. But I would rather them play that way than, like, sit back and be reserved and, you know, let them hit the 10, 15-yard slants and, and stuff like that. So, um, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm confident in the defense. Uh, but like you, I, I think we need to click on maybe some passes over the top or some, you know, just some big plays out of Malik. I, I think if we do that, then, um, I don't want to say we're going to be in good shape, but I think it could go a long way towards getting a victory. I totally agree with you on the defense thing. Like if your two options are a take a lot of chances, potentially, you know, create some turnovers or some tackles for loss, but also potentially give up some big plays or B sit back and let every team just drive it down your throat for six minutes and then score, you've got to go with A. And it felt like we did a lot more of that against UCF and obviously reaped the benefits there. Um, so I hope we play the aggressive style. And if it if it results in FSU getting two or three long touchdowns, but we are able to counter that with a bunch of big stops behind the line of scrimmage and maybe a couple of turnovers, then it's worth it. And you have to, you have to trust the offense to be better than it has the last couple of weeks. Um I mean, Jordan Travis has been really – he was good at the end of last year. He's been really good the first couple of weeks. Can he do it for a full season? I think we'll find out. He's got a lot of weapons in the backfield. Um, it also surprised me that this is the first time that Florida State's been 2-0 since 2016, and they haven't been 3-0 since 2015. It's just a, a wild stat to think about for a program that's been as good as they have for so long. Like, they're cut, like if you think we're prioritizing this game – They've got it circled as well, not just because You're right. Of I could see them bringing a ton of fans too. Like, uh, oh yeah, 
for for them starting out two and zero, you know, it's been that long. Like you're, they're probably putting this game on a pedestal. And you get all the, you know, I grew up a UK basketball, but I'm a Florida State football fan. Like right. they'll be there as well. And I I say that not like just trying to shit on UK fans. Every time we've played a home game against them, there have been multiple people in our section wearing FSU stuff who are like, oh, I'm a UK basketball fan, but I've just always loved the Knowles in football. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I want to drop kick you onto the field. Like this is I respect UK fans in both sports more than you. Like get out, get out of my face. But they'll have a lot of people there. They always do. But they're circling this game not just because it's it's you know not because it's Louisville or anything, but they want to they want to feel like it's the real thing. They, they want to believe that this is not just a fluke. You know who knows how good LSU is. I think they're waiting for some sort of just complete confirmation that they're going to have a good season or have a chance to have a good season. And if they lose this game tomorrow night, um, they probably lose on that. Um, real quickly before we we make our predictions on that game, the men's basketball schedule came out this week. Um, it's uh, there were no surprise games. I a couple of thoughts real quickly. One, 19 home games is a lot at the KFC yep. Home Center this year. If you have season tickets, you're going to you know get your money's worth this year. We only play one true road game in non-conference, which is at Kentucky. That's a little bit weird. I'm, o- I'm okay, and then with the, okay with that. I'm fine with it, too. I, I mean, we're, we're going to be challenged enough. We've got yep. – it, it's a brutal schedule, especially early on. I mean, we have a stretch in December where I think we play five straight games against power conference teams. Like, like that just doesn't happen. It's a – it's an odd schedule in that you're playing three ACC games before Christmas. Like, that's also weird. I think we play Florida State, Miami, and NC State all before December 22nd. We do have nine days off between that game against NC State on the 22nd and UK on New Year's Eve. Kenny Payne's one of those coaches who, I guess, is going to let the kids go home for Christmas, take a couple of days off, reset, and then come back and get ready for UK. But it all starts uh, November 9th against Bellarmine. We have three games that we should win, uh, Bellarmine, Wright State, and App State, before we go to Maui for a really challenging run. Um, we, we, we need to be 3-0 before we go to Maui. I'll say that. Because once you get back from Maui, you've got Maryland, and then you've got the two games against Florida State and Miami. If you don't win a game in Maui, all of a sudden you're staring down like you know like six straight losses potentially, which would be just disaster. I don't think that's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. Um, but then you have Western Kentucky right after that too, a team that waxed you last year. But it's a... I like the way the schedule is set up. I'm hoping it's going to be a fun year. I don't know if you had any takeaways or if you had a chance to look at it, but it, it's just, it's always, it feels real when you're in football and then you get the schedule in your hands for basketball. Like the, the, the best days are in front of us here. They're coming. Too. You know what my favorite part about it was, I feel like the past couple of years, the ACC schedule hasn't been as routine as it looks this year. This year it's like Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. I, I like knowing when my games are, and I love the Saturday games instead of the Sunday games. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of that, and I definitely I'm with you. Like I this team, you know, we we'll talk more about it as the season gets a little bit closer. Um, you know, I, I really I don't know what to expect. If if I was leaning one way or the other, I say it might be um, a, a you know, kind of a tougher season. Um, but I think it's nice for this team um, to only have one true kind of road game, you know, out of conference. So um, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it more as we get closer, but I don't know, like if you were telling me in the summer, I'm like, Oh God, this team, like, you know, the roster, blah, blah. blah. And then like, for whatever reason, as we get a little closer to the season, like 
my, I'm like, well, this guy could be a little bit better. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. I'm already doing it. Um, so you do the Reds. You do the Reds baseball thing that you do every <laughs> I year. I really, I am. I do this. By all. the way, the Reds officially eliminated from the playoffs yesterday. I saw oh. that. But like, you do. We do this thing where like the season ends and we're like, we start making no moves and all of us are like, this is gonna be fucking terrible. And then like March rolls around and you're like, well, you know, yeah. uh, I think we could actually be in contention until August. I know there's like one baseball fan listening to this, but next year, like the Louisville bats could be loaded. loaded. And if they have Ellie De La Cruz, like that is a, the Louisville bats are going to be like a must get ticket in town. That's how, I mean, this kid is the most electric kid I've seen on a baseball field in a long time. I still can't believe he's in the Reds organization. So keep an eye on that. If you're a bats guy, we're going to fuck it up somehow. We're, we're going to trade him for, like, I don't know. Like, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Pujols for his, like, last <laughs> on one leg retirement comeback special. Um, I, I, I'm with you real quickly on the schedule. I like that we're doing uh, the, the Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday is cool. On the other hand, it means that ESPN thinks we're not good enough to be on Big Monday at all this year, which is, you know, fine, whatever. Uh, we have a couple of Tuesday night games, too, that are also going to be like regional sports network. But you kind of knew that going in. The expectations yeah. are going to be low nationally. You're going to have to to prove people wrong. All right. Before we do predictions for Florida State, do you have a day of the dumps for this week? I was I mean, God, I was I was flying high this week, so I don't have like a really good one. The only thing is, like, we got my son's birthday coming up this week weekend and we like give him the option. We're like, all right, buddy, like, here's what you can do. Like. You can go. He likes to like rock climb and like you know, just like me, big rock climber. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. He loves like rock climbing and like these like Columbus is like the king of these like indoor like rock climbing or like urban air or like ninja house places. Like I don't know. He loves that stuff. And I mean that stuff adds up quick. And so we're like, hey bud, you can you know have it at one of these places, and you know you can have. 10 to 12 people like or you can just have it at like a park and you know invite whoever you want and he, he takes the numbers every time he's like i wanted to park we have 32 people coming to <laughs> i'm like I, I like told my kim i'm like we we or i told my wife i'm like we did this last year and like i i, I can't even tell you like what a sweaty disaster I was like trying to like pick up like a thousand <laughs> used water balloons off the ground while these kids are like basically trampling me. Um, so anyways, we're going back to the park and Cam's request was he wants to set up golf holes at the park where people can <laughs> golf. I'm like, all right, Cam, well, it, here's a, a couple problems here. We're in a public park. I just, you know, I, first off, I can't just take a shovel out there and dig for a golf hole. Second off, I don't know how to do it. Third off, you're left-handed, and all these kids are coming to right-handed. So I have the clubs for them. So you just have to play the playground or whatever there is. Okay, so like, like we're we're kind of in a a standstill on that. But I'll have to report back on the party. I'm you know I'm happy for him, but at the same time I'm like Kim, we we can't do this anymore. I mean we're inviting you know half a Dublin here. Oh, Cam's the best. I love it. Uh, we had Virginia's party last weekend. She turned three. It was a much smaller affair, like just family. But See, she started that's, that's doing the, the way to do it. It it was but like we're also getting to the, like she was doing the thing where it was like what time are my friends coming over? Like this is the last oh. year we're gonna be able to get away with it. Like it's gonna have, we're gonna have to start having friends like 
starting next year, I think. And I, I'm dreading it. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, it, we our, our middle daughter, she's born four days before Christmas, Lila, and she just gets the shaft every year. We're like, sorry, honey. Like, we're kind of mixing it with Christmas here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel for VA, but she'll, she'll get her crown soon enough. She didn't nap, or she, like, took, like, a very short nap for the party. It was a fucking disaster for the first hour. Like, she's, like... She's like opening presents. She's like, I thought it was going to be a mini kitchen. And like scream. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> it was it was so bad. Uh, my, my mom's like, well, that was a miss. I was like, mom, she'll love it in an hour. I'm so sorry. I was going to um, say, yeah, that, that that just happens. It's it's all part of the uh, the early birthday stage. No, it ended up being fine. She, she was yeah. great. She ended up playing with all the toys. It was a, we had a good time. It was a wonderful, wonderful night. Uh, okay. Prediction time, Louisville, Florida State, 7.30 kickoff, ESPN, Friday night. Huge game for both teams. Does the Scott Magic roll on? Um, I'll go first since since you nailed it last week. I, I'm hoping that like my pessimism from last week carries over into this week in a good way for the team because I still don't feel good about this game. I, I If we won a little bit differently at UCF, maybe I'd feel more confident or if we'd been more competitive against Syracuse. I think that I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything. I just think it's going to be kind of an ugly game. Florida State winds up just being the better team because they have more athletes. I'm going to say FSU 28, Louisville 24 in a game that like like everyone against FSU, we feel like we should have won when all said and done, but we just don't get the job done. I mean, yeah, I could see it that way, but I'm not going that way. Going yeah. the other, or going the other way. I just, I, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I'm putting the crowd on a pedestal here. I'm like, you don't understand the crowd. Like, <laughs> I, I'm really putting a lot in this crowd. So I hope we show up here. I, I, I do think they're going to make a difference. Um, I'm going to say 31-28. Um, nice. We win on a Florida State missed field goal at the end. That's my prediction. I think the offense finally comes alive. I think we catch a few breaks. Um and yeah, I'm. Uh, I have zero confidence in that pick. I, I mean, you could tell me we win by 30. You could tell me we lose by 65, and I'd probably be like, yeah. But what do you want me to do? Here's hoping we're all doing the the John Candy from Cool Runnings again after this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's the committee. They say we're back in. Let's, uh, let's do it. Let's all get back on the boat. Hopefully, next week's uh, episode is a very celebratory episode. It should be fun. Hell, if we win, it's definitely going to be fun. Um, please subscribe to the podcast is the best way to keep tabs on when new episodes are out there. Give us a nice uh, rating. Give us a review if you want to. We'll read it on air. No new reviews still. So if you want to, to leave a review at some point over the next five or six days, there's a strong chance you will have yours read on the next episode of the Card Chronicle podcast. Thanks so much again for tuning in. Let's get this done. Come on, Scott. Go Cards. Beat FSU. Let's go, Scotty. Go Cards, baby.